It's time for episode 132 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 13th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's second to none. I'm Jason Snell, and across the internet from me, my co-host, Mr. Dan Morin. Hello. Hi, Jason. I see what you did there. That was a, uh, a minute pun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hanging yeah. up, guys. Well, <laughs> uh, our puns aren't very good. Oh, oh. wow. Oh. This will be the only episode with just you and me as we drive our guests away. <laughs> Uh, we do have uh, four great technology topics, two great guests, and all done in less than 30 minutes. To my left, it is my longtime compatriot at Macworld. Uh, now we're both out on our own, doing our own thing. It's Sholly McFarland. Hello. Hello. And to my left, uh, another returning guest, the CEO and lackey of Rogue Amoeba, fine purveyor of products for Mac and, and iOS, Mr. Paul Cafasis. Hi, Paul. Hi guys, I'm I'm sorry. I'm a little distracted. I'm drawing a, a map of where we're all sitting in your weird little virtual world. <laughs> it's almost as confusing as if you draw that map of where we're sitting in the real world. That's true. <laughs> Paul, you're to my you're to my right. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm. Dan is across the table from me. I'm putting you at six o'clock, Jason. Dan's at twelve. Sholly's okay. at nine, and I'm at three. Okay, sounds good. And now we're going to move clockwise uh let me give us our first topic uh facebook uh, at the facebook uh developer conference this week one of the things that they they promoted is chatbots which of course have been around forever and are not new but now they tell us our chatbots will be smarter um so my question for all of you is are we doomed to stop talking to people um or even using user interfaces anymore and all of our future time with computers is going to be involved with talking or typing into a robot what do you think Sholly? well it seems like right now the most talked about chatbots are for customer service um and the idea is as they learn the chatbots should be able to anticipate what people are going to ask um they'll never leave you waiting in line and they'll never get irritated with you and i think all those things sound great but i think in some ways, that's the same thing I've heard about automated call centers. <laughs> um, and yes, you can hire fewer people to answer the phones. And yes, call centers are a great way to, automated call centers are a great way to get really basic information like hours or where a company is. But I wonder if we rely more on chatbots, are we going to end up with the same kind of frustration that automated call centers are known for? As in, I said one, one. <laughs> um, and the other thing is the potential for a new world of chatbot spam really gives me pause. Uh, do I really want Facebook and other businesses collecting even more information about me um, to give me a customized experience? And do I really want the possibility of unsolicited chats from businesses? Um, I think a lot of people have stopped using email more and more because it's so filled with spam. Is that going to happen with chat too? So those are my, my questions. I, yeah, I kind of wonder if anybody at Facebook has actually ever talked to a robot because if they had, <laughs> uh, I feel like they would realize that this is actually super annoying. Um, and yeah, I like Shali, I agree that on the, on the face of it, it seems like a 
a good improvement and a way to sort of reduce overhead by not using as many people and and standardize and experience but all of my experience with robot chatbots whether it be you know going all the way back to eliza or using the more sophisticated quote-unquote ones they have these days has been kind of subpar uh and and i don't really see this as nest unless they're making some gigantic quantum leap here in in you know in terms of processing natural language and being able to really figure out what people mean because there's such a wide variety of ways that you can interact um with these bots one of my i think my bank actually for a while had like a sort of chat bot in its as its like help system i actually found that way more annoying than like i just want to search a help document um some of these things we do in the in the name of simplifying interactions actually i think make them more complicated um because now we often have to like kind of guess or like try to figure out exactly what what they want us to say which seems like the opposite of what you what should be happening here so i understand the idea of having these intelligent agents sort of responding to things but i am not convinced that that's actually the best way to do most of the things that facebook's trying to show off here so i i feel like i'm opting on the side of this is this is not going to catch on I'm going to go the other way just to be a contrarian. This is going to be the best <laughs> I cannot know. It's going to be, it's terrible. Uh, I mean, everything you guys said is is accurate. This has existed for a long time. It, I, I haven't seen anything that tells me we've got anything new yet. Uh, I think the sort of the best, uh, the best improvement we can get is more powerful backends that have a lot more data. The same way that Siri and, you know, Amazon Echo and things like that can uh, respond to things. You can now have uh, bots that do the same thing. But again, as as Dan said, I, I think it's often a lot easier to just say, okay, let me just pull up the web page and, and find the hours for this place or, or search a help document, anything like that, instead of trying to interact with uh, a, a bot that is not necessarily able to understand what you're trying to say to it. So to me, it's I, I can absolutely believe that in 50 years we'll have something where, you know, this is a pretty common way to interact and get information, but I don't see it happening in the next few years anyway. See, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with you in the sense that I do think it's going to happen in the next few years, but it is going to be terrible. So, Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, the call center analogy that uh, Sholly made is exactly right. I feel like this is a great idea, the idea that you can have, like right now if I check with my cable company i go in a text chat and it's like is this a person or not and i think it is a person but they've got a bunch of macros that they're using and they're only half mean, paying attention is it is a robot or not jason <laughs> <laughs> i may mean that dan uh and and so i can see ways where this would improve things but what ends up happening like with the automated call jail that you end up getting into <laughs> and you just can I, how many times can i press zero to get out of here <laughs> yeah uh, um is that it's badly done. It's not the technology isn't there yet. There's no way to hit the uh, to hit the panic button and just get out of there. And I my cynical view of how a lot of companies that have this stuff, this technology are going are going to use it is that they're going to deploy it when it's terrible and not ready and say look how much money we saved and degrade the customer service experience further. So I agree with Paul. If you look out 50 years, yeah, I think intelligent agents are going to be great and they're going to exist in all sorts of forms spoken and written. But uh, I fear that this excitement about chatbots is driven by um, cost cutting uh, things that are, yeah, interested to the business and not to the customers. And we're going to feel the pain of it. So bad trend, bad trend. It is going to yield a 1000% increase in people swearing at chatbots, though. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> and then the chatbots will respond that they're offended and feel bad. So, uh, but you won't know if it's a real person or not. It'll That's be very true. confusing. All right. Well, thank you for your. Uh, I, I, I think none of us gave robotic answers, so that is you all actually. Oh, that's what I should have done. I so should have scripted you, you a que- scripted you an answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next topic, Sholly. What do you have for us? All right, my topic this week is about common tech misunderstandings, um, and the reason I'm bringing it is because I have been editing uh, a new book by Joe Kissel called "Are Your Bits Flipped?" Um, the idea of the book is that a flipped bit. Uh, as in the binary world, is a tiny error, seemingly insignificant all by itself. But if you've got a a bit flipped, the wrong one, the whole system can break down. So in the book, Joe looks at how this happens for people with technology and how even smart people sometimes get basic facts about technology wrong, and that leads them to waste time or make bad decisions. Um, So my example that I'm going to give, there are many, many examples, uh, but it's about passwords. And to this day, we know people continue to reuse the same password across multiple accounts and sites. Um, And it's not, this isn't just limited to people whose password is password, uh, for sure. Even savvier users, including myself sometimes, Uh, think, you know, I've got a really good password and reusing it is safer because I have it memorized. I don't have to write it on a sticky note. Uh, I'll never lose it. And why can't I just use it everywhere? Because it's, you know, it's 14 characters long. It's fabulously random. Uh, But we know that sites get compromised. You know, just last November, Amazon required all its users to reset their passwords because of a potential breach. Um, And if you've reused a password on multiple sites, If that password gets compromised, the damage can spread across all different accounts. So that, I think, is something, you know, people don't quite understand the safety issues, or maybe they just really think something's too inconvenient to be worth it, and it can lead to a bad decision. So my question for you is, what are tech misconceptions that you see often or that you yourself have experienced? Uh, The one that comes to mind immediately, and this is... I feel like still something that comes up every once in a while is one of those tech voodoo things is quitting all your iOS apps uh, when you're not using them. Uh, I see a lot of people do this where they like, uh, I know people who will just like every time they're finished using an app, they will go through and like quit every single app that they opened like in the last session. And in theory, none of those are supposed to be able to do anything because they're frozen in the background. Whether or not that's true, if you have a runaway app that actually is using some sort of background app processing, maybe that makes a difference. But they've actually, like, you know, Apple has put out information and had executives quoted as saying, like, no, no, you don't need to quit all your apps in the background. Uh, And yet, no matter how many times I try to convince people that they don't need to do that, they sort of smile and and nod their heads at me and then go ahead and do it anyways. Um, And, you know, is this causing major damage to them? Probably not. I mean, it slows down some apps, and it's probably just the time-consuming nature and silliness of flicking all those apps up to quit them. Like, that's probably the biggest impact it really has on their lives in terms of disadvantaging them. But it is, I think it's one of those things like, you know, uh, that, that zapping your pram or whatever, like, will just, will never really entirely go away. I had a, I had a sort of an older one and that is uh, double clicking. So years ago, (laughs) people learned to double click. And to this day, I have relatives who double click web links and double click Mm. pretty much everything. When in reality, at this point, you pretty much never need to double click anything except to 
open an application or open a file. Uh, and I think you generally should do a lot more single clicking, but I am often on the phone giving some sort of uh, help to one of my relatives and saying, okay, click on, you know, whatever. And they say, do I need to click or double click? And uh, that's one where they learned hmm. double clicking and didn't learn single clicking initially because uh, there weren't web links, you know, 15, 20 years ago that they were working with. And it's just gotten stuck. Uh, so that's that's the one that came to my mind anyway. That's a great one. For me, it's about uh, storage and people being confused about storage on computers and also that bigger isn't always better. I A lot of times when uh, people ask me, you know, I live in the suburbs. I've got a lot of non-technical people around me. They come to me and say, Jason, I've got this, you know, what computer should I buy? I'm buying a new computer. Or my computer is slow. Have I filled up the hard drive? Or um, things like my computer is slow, but the hard drive is only half filled up. So why is it slow? Which is mm-hmm. this idea that somehow the hard drive is this magical thing that um, <laughs> just needs you. You buy always buy the biggest one and you use it until it's full and then you throw away the computer and get a new one but this is a per, this is a perception that that persists and today where we have solid state technology for storage that is um so much faster and that the old uh, spinning hard drives are by far the slowest thing it's going to slow down your computer it's like you get a new computer when you uh when you put in an ssd um what i find a lot of times is people now always think bigger is better like well i don't want to get the the spend more money for the the flash storage i want to get the you know huge mm-hmm. uh two terabyte hard drive and that's that's what i need to get and i i have to explain like well what are you going to use it for are you editing video or are you and so well no i've just got some photos and uh, and it's like you don't need that much storage and you want the faster thing but i think storage right down to the fact that some people still call it memory um mm-hmm. is, right, i was gonna <laughs> say ram versus hard drive storage exactly it, it's it's just a concept that although we computer nerds think of it as uh, a, a perfectly understandable thing i think a lot of regular people just they just don't understand how it works and how to shop for it and uh how to use it and what it how it impacts what they do so I, i'd say storage in general is a problem all right, well, that's great. We have now uh, reached halftime. So let me tell you about our halftime sponsor before we get to our next two topics. Our uh, episode this week brought to you by the good people at Linode, a combination of high-performance SSD. See, storage, it's important. Linux servers <laughs> spread across eight data centers around the world. Uh, it's a great solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute using their super easy to use web-based tools and plans start at just $10 a month. You're able to choose your resources, the Linux distro you want to use for your server, and the location that the server is stored geographically around the world, all from the web-based manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can use that tool to deploy, boot, and resize the virtual server with a few clicks. They've got native SSD storage on their servers. They use powerful Intel E5 processors, have access to this amazing 40 gigabit network with multiple levels of redundancy. Of course, they've got 24-7 support for their more than 400,000 customers. So in addition to the redundancy, they've also got a lot of support to help you out. And uh, all of the pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap, so you're never going to get an ugly surprise. There's even an API to let you easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. I use Linode for the incomparable and six colors, and it is I am just mystified about how much power I can get for a very low price. So I definitely use it myself. It's great for tasks like that. If you want to run a podcast network or a, a, a website of your own, you can do that. You could also run a private Git server, host a large database, run a mail server, powerful web apps, anything else. So as a listener of this show, you can sign up at linode.com 
linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise. You'll support us and you'll get $20 toward any plan. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's no reason not to give it a try. Linode.com slash clockwise to learn more. Sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or just use the promo code clockwise 20 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for serving all of my stuff on the internet and for supporting Clockwise. All right, halftime's over. Dan, it's your turn. What's your topic? So rumor has it that the next Apple Watch will be in a slimmer case but won't look terribly different aesthetically. And so my question for you guys is whether you're a current Apple Watch owner or not, uh, what will it take for you to consider the uh, the new Apple Watch uh, upgrade from your existing one or what you know didn't sell you on the first watch that, that might sell you on the second watch? Paul? Well, so I, I was thinking about this and I've had the watch for just under a year now. I've worn it pretty much every day. And I like it. I like the notifications. I like the fitness tracking. And I like having a watch. I've worn a watch for, I don't know, 30 years, 25 years. Uh, I hate how slow it often is. And I dislike the fact that there's really, I'm not doing anything with third-party apps on the device. So a slimmer watch is not really, looking at it on my wrist right now, I can see, yeah, that'd be nice. But it's not gonna, I'm not going to buy a new one just for that. Uh, I want to hear that it's faster. I'd love to hear that the battery worked a little bit differently. Uh, either more battery power, which if you have a slimmer watch is probably not going to happen, but uh, maybe faster charging such that you don't need to charge it overnight. Uh, I'd really like to be able to use this as my alarm clock as well, uh, tapping me on the wrist to wake me up. And currently I just charge it every night and in the morning I put it on and it works well enough, but it's not what I sort of had hoped. And I, I I think it's kind of weird, but I used to wear my watch when I slept, and uh, now I can't do that. And it has a feature that would be really nice if it would wake me up that way, but I, I can't do it because of the way it charges. So I'm more interested in speed and uh, at least a different type of battery, whether it could charge, you know, ha- have a day worth of battery power, but charge in 15 or 20 minutes or more battery power such that it didn't need to be charged every day. Yeah, I'm not uh, particularly uh, dissatisfied with the look of it right now i i wear mine every day and i like it and i don't look at it and think god it's so huge and clunky and i wish it was smaller i just don't i don't feel that way um and i agree with paul making it slimmer means there's going to be less battery in it which i think is not what they need to be working on they need to have improved battery life improved charging and um and yeah so then you could wear it as a sleep tracker or a, a silent alarm um lots of great things you could do you could also perhaps have it be that the time is visible all the time and not just when you flip your <laughs> wrist over that would be pretty great so in in the end for me it comes down to software uh, i think I think before I would ever consider buying another model of Apple Watch, they need to show um, how they're advancing watchOS to make apps load faster and for it to be more functional than it is now. Because I feel like we're still uh, participating in the sort of first take on Apple Watch. And I really want to see what Apple's second take is when they rethink it a little bit now that it's been out there for a while and realize how people use and don't use the apps and the glances and all of those things. And once, you know, if, if Apple improves the hardware... But but the software is still sort of a mess. I'm not sure there's anything they could do to make me want to do it. I guess if the hardware was, well, the old one can't load apps, but the new one does it just fine. I guess I would be interested, but I'd be very grumpy at that point too. So I want to see some movement on software um, more than anything else. And then, yeah, if it, if it could keep the screen on all the time, that would be uh, really nice. So I'm the odd person out here, I think. I do not have a watch. Um, I was not quite convinced by what I knew about the watch that it was really, that I was going to be a, you know, a first, an early adopter with this. Um, 
So for me, what it would take for me to get a watch still at this time would be either a lower price point or and a killer feature. Uh, right now for me, I, the Apple Watch is still just kind of spendy for what it does. Um, I can't imagine being without my iPhone, even though it's expensive to maintain it. I, I can't cut it out of my budget because it's too important to me. But there isn't a watch feature that makes me feel this way, so I, I can't really justify the $300 to $700. Um, and I don't really want anything to get in between me and my, my precious, precious phone. <laughs> So for me, I think the slimmer profile is a start because they are a little bulky for my for my wrist. Uh, the health features are the most appealing to me, but right now it's just not quite jazzy enough. If if I want an activity tracker, I could go get a Fitbit or a Fitbit knockoff for $150, and I'd get a sleep monitor in the bargain for that. Um, so right now I need a I need a killer feature or a lower price still and and I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting to see if the if the next big version will have those. Yeah, I think Shelly's point about a killer feature is is well taken and sort of expands on what you know Paul and Jason talked about, which is that you know there's a lot of stuff in here that's good. There's a lot of stuff that you know could need some improvement, whether it be battery life or the software. I think the hardware, you know, obviously Apple loves to make things thinner and thinner. Pretty soon you'll be wearing like a razor blade on your wrist because that's going to be how thin it is. Um, but that the functionality is really what they need to focus on and see what people have been using and not using. I think that's the most important part, not using in the last year. Uh, so for me, um, I think the big things are things that make it more watch-like, like Jason said, being able to see the time all the time. Um, and speed just honestly a lot of those apps would probably be a lot more useful if the hardware was a lot faster uh, and barring that just you know trying to figure out ways to make that experience more seamless in your life so thank you for that and with that i'll turn it over to paul for our fourth topic all right so you guys had some broad topics some some interesting mm -hmm. topics i have a very specific one uh, it appears that Apple has licensed AirPlay to HTC, AirPlay sending uh, to HTC for their HTC 10 uh, Android phone. And I guess my question is a two-parter. What and <laughs> why? Good questions. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I may answer you with questions like, huh? And hey! <laughs> um, the uh, For me... Um, so I'm visiting uh, family in Arizona today. Uh, that's why I, I may sound a little bit different than usual. And uh, I brought an Amazon Fire TV stick with me so we could watch Netflix and movies and stuff. And I was, uh, was going to try to do some screen sharing, and I realized that the Fire TV uses uh, neither Chromecast nor AirPlay. <laughs> it uses right, its right. own screen. It has a screen sharing mode. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, how do I get to it? And I looked on their website, and they said, you can share it from Amazon Fire tablets. I'm like, that's it? Really? <laughs> um, so... Uh, I guess what I would say is it's great that a Apple, I think Apple could have popularized AirPlay sooner and they just decided to sort of not license it to anyone, which has been frustrating for everyone. It's interesting to see them do this. Um, but as a consumer, I'm just frustrated by the fact that I can't easily share stuff from my screen to any device because there are all these interoperability problems. And that, that frustrates me greatly. So for me, I'm, I'm a Mac person. I have an iPhone, mini iPads, Apple TV, you know, all the stuff. Um, and the main way I've used AirPlay is to stream video or to mirror one of my devices through the Apple TV to my big TV screen. 
Um, in particular, AirPlay has saved me several times when I needed to occupy my children and my Roku went out. Um, but I've primarily used AirPlay for video. So it's interesting to me that the um, AirPlay support on the HTC 10 is only for audio streaming, right. uh, not for video streaming. So my interpretation of that is this is directly a move to, first of all, get people to buy more AirPlay-enabled speakers, and they they have some advantages. Uh, the The quality is supposed to be better than Bluetooth speakers, for example. Um, but then there's also the deal that Apple started. Um, Apple has an app for Android users for Apple Music. So. For me, it sounds like this is about that. This is about helping Apple Music to spread to other platforms and to get it more ubiquitous. So that's good. Um, that seems fine. I'm a recent convert to Apple Music, and I really, really like it. Uh, but for me, we don't use AirPlay for, for audio. We have a Sonos system, and that's the first set of wireless speakers we've had. That's actually really worked without constant dropouts and outages. So I really like the Sonos system. So it's not really going to affect me in any way. But I think in terms of Apple and a move to kind of move into the other platforms, I, I can understand that. That seems like I'll be interested to see what happens. Yeah, I think it's upside for Apple. Um, they get AirPlay, you know, saying, hey, we have cross-platform support for for <laughs> AirPlay. That's that's great. Um, I think, you know, the much more interestingly, HTC, uh, and, and the comment that came with this was very interesting, was an HPC executive saying, we'd be open to putting Apple Pay on our phones, too, if Apple would let us do that. Uh, HTC, <laughs> HTC has a big uphill climb in front of it to catch up to Samsung. Samsung has its own, you know, protocols for all of these things, right? And, right. and so it's really advantageous for HTC to feel like, oh, we're still a player in this market, we're relevant, but without having to develop all those things for itself. Um, so I think that's part of it. As to why Apple allowed it, I mean, I, you know... I, it's airplay has been interesting it's not something that has totally caught on as someone who's about to throw out an airplay speaker that really kind of sucks mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i am not feeling super optimistic about you know the current version of of it and and i don't know that this is going to tip anyone over the edge but i could see it being useful in like mixed households where like oh someone has an android phone someone has an a, a, uh, iphone but we have an apple tv like oh i can you know at least stream my audio to that apple tv um, but I think this is going to be, uh, frankly, I think this is going to be sort of a one-off thing. I don't think I expect this to be a big trend. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, this is, this is interesting to me, as you guys probably know, uh, my company has a product that does, uh, airplay audio streaming and it does it via software. So it's interesting to see Apple licensing that audio sending for the first time. Uh, but it seems, it just seems very odd given that airplay audio streaming, previously Airtunes audio streaming has been around for a decade now. And it's slowly grown a little bit at various times. Apple started licensing the receiving to other speakers, as you mentioned, and those have been around for, you know, at least five years. Uh, and now randomly HTC can send to these speakers. Uh, it seems very strange that the sort of the best, uh, or at least the funniest explanation I came up with was that uh, it's a big middle finger to Samsung mm -hmm. because Samsung phones are never going to have this. Uh, or at least it seems like they never will. And uh, it elevates HTC a little bit. Uh, as as you mentioned, Dan, that uh, Samsung has a protocol for this, for audio streaming, and uh, and it puts HTC a little bit more on their level. So it's uh, it's 
I, I at least like that explanation. I don't know that it's it has any basis in reality, but I like the idea that Apple's saying, yeah, we'll we'll give it to HTC, and that'll screw with Samsung a little bit. But it'll be <laughs> inter- it'll be interesting to see just what happens if this if this is the only device that gets it. If other HTC devices get it, if other Android carriers get it, uh, I guess we'll see in the next you know six months, next year. All right, we'll see. Yeah, very interesting. Wonder how this happened. Uh, anyway, that is four topics. We have just barely enough time for a bonus topic, so it's going to be quick. Um, lots of movie franchises out there. New Marvel movies coming out. New Star Wars movies coming out. And I, I want to just take a little survey. What is your favorite movie franchise? Sholly. I I love Star Wars, of course, but right now I'm most excited about the new Harry Potter movie coming um. out <laughs> and the idea that this is being billed as the first film in, in a new Potter World trilogy. So that's what I'm excited about right now. All right, good. Dan? I really enjoy the fast and the... F- no, I'm just kidding. It's Star Wars. It's got to be Star Wars. <laughs> sure. Paul? Oh, this is... I got to say None. Uh, I was just, I was just, no, it was funny because I was just talking with somebody about uh, superhero movies and how I'm kind of done with superhero movies. Uh, I guess, I, I, okay, so I guess that's the answer is like uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman. Uh, but if you include all the other Batman movies, then none. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you could have gone with like Jaws or Friday the 13th or something, I suppose. Um, yeah, I guess. I, I'm, I'm going to throw, I'm going to say Marvel because I, I'm not tired of the Marvel movies because they've managed to keep them different uh, as they go. Ant-Man is very different from Guardians of the Galaxy, which is different from Winter Soldier. So I think, uh, I don't know how long they can keep it up, but right now I think they're uh, still still making it work uh, creatively. All right, we have reached the end. That was four topics and two wonderful guests. Sholly McFarland, thank you for being back on Clockwise. Thanks for having me. And Paul Cafasis, always a pleasure. For you, Dan. Yeah. And for <laughs> That's me. True. That's true. Thanks, uh, guys. Just me. And for the listeners. All right, Dan. <laughs> another one in the books. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll be back next week. But until then, we remind you watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.